0: Happy New Year to you all. It's good to be back. I've had a couple of weeks off, so good to be uh, back with you this morning. Uh, we're going to jump into that psalm uh, in just a little bit, uh, but before we do, I thought it'd be good just to take a few moments to, to think more generally about the psalms, uh, because for many years, as I tried to read the psalms for myself, I didn't really know what to do with them. Uh, they, I didn't really get them. Uh, I've been told that I'm not a very emotional kind of person, mostly by my wife, um, I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true. I, I've cried during a movie. I have. This was the movie I cried in. Oh. Anyone else had a good cry during the notebook? Look, even, even the picture of it is just so, um, there's so much emotion there. I can see it. I cried during that movie when I found out how long it was. I'm a, I'm a very logical kind of a person. You might know that the Psalms are not logical. I'm, I'm, I like clarity, I like black and white, the Psalms are grey, uh, they, they sort of blur the lines. Uh, I like simplicity, the Psalms are complex. Uh, it wasn't until a really hard time in my life, about 10 years ago when my dad was dying, that I turned back to the Psalms again and for the first time they started to make sense to me. Um, I think it's because they're written out of real experience. That these are the real experiences of, of people as they're outpouring of their soul uh, to God in the midst of whatever they're going through at the time, whether that's suffering or joy or, or sorrow or pain or sickness or, or doubt or whatever it is. The Psalms meet you where you're at. Now, When my dad died, what I didn't need was intellectual truths. Uh, what I needed was someone who had been there, someone who had experienced the kinds of things that I was going through, someone who had felt the feelings I was feeling, someone who would really just sit there in the dirt with me. And that's the Psalms. But you need to take time as you, as you read them. Uh, you, you don't understand them straight away. They're, they take work. They're filled with uh, poetry and imagery and you have to wrestle with them, have to read them and reread them and meditate on them and mine them for the riches that they have in them. But I want to say they're worth it when you do it. They're worth it because they'll, they'll start to speak to your soul as you do. Um, They might not answer all your questions. They're not designed to do that, but they will comfort you and inspire you and, and increase your faith as you do it. And so If you haven't figured out uh, what you're going to read this year in the Bible, uh, why not read through the Psalms? Why don't you take that and read through the Psalms this year? Uh, If you want a place to start with that, here's a book that I recommend. It's called My Rock, My Refuge. It's a year-long devotional through the Psalms by Tim and Kathy Keller. I, uh, with my wife, read through this each night a few years ago. We really enjoyed it, got a lot out of it. P.S., if you have my copy of this, I can't remember who's got it, can you give it back to me? (laughs) We decided we're going to have another go this year. I don't want to have to buy it again. I I already own it. One of you has my book. (laughs) In fact, I've got a lot of books that I've given out over the years while we're here. Uh, If you have one of my books (laughs) and you're finished with it, can you give it back to me? I'd like to. (laughs) I take photos now. If you borrow one of my books, I take a photo. Anyway, I know who you are. Um, okay uh, let's, uh, let's jump in and I want to start with a question it's a, it's a self-reflection question uh, it's a question about feelings gentlemen so here's the question uh, as Danny read that psalm out how did it make you feel? as you heard that psalm being read out what was your reaction to it? Let me share with you two different reactions to this psalm. One from someone else at church this week as I was talking to them about it. They went home and and read it and then texted me about their reflections on it. And the second one will be my own response to it. Here's what they said after they'd had a a chance to, to sort of meditate on it for a while. They said, it's very inspirational, isn't it? Wouldn't that my life and relationship with God look more and more like that? Now, as they read it, they were inspired by the words of Psalm 63. They they longed to have the experience that the psalmist had as he he was speaking in here. Maybe that's your reaction to this psalm as as you heard it read out. I said I'd also give you mine, and mine was a bit different to that. As I have been reading through this psalm, and particularly the first time I read through this psalm a few weeks ago, um, my first reaction was to sort of distance myself a bit from it, that I couldn't really relate to it. You know, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you is how how it starts. It felt like one of those, you know, David on the mountaintop with his, you know, flag in the ground kind of experiences. I I just couldn't relate. I wasn't inspired by it. Uh, If anything, I was a bit discouraged because my own experience felt so far away from David's. Now, I could look back on times in my life where I have felt like that. I've had that sort of longing for God. But now, if anything, it was a bit of a rebuke to me. To be honest, my temptation was just to turn the page and maybe pick a different psalm. You know, there's 150 psalms to choose from. I didn't have to pick that one. But I deliberately chose Psalm 63 because deep down, I wanted it to be true for me. I wanted to have this kind of experience of God that David has here, this thirst for God that he has. Is that what you want as you start a new year? Because my prayer this week has been both for myself and for us, is that as we look at this psalm together today, that God would raise up in all of us a great thirst and a great hunger for him. Hopefully that's what God will do by his spirit with us today. And so let's now turn, have a look at that psalm. It'd be good to have it open in front of you. Hey, make to, uh, 2024 the year you bring your Bible to church. So have it open in front of you. It'd be good to have that there. Or will come up on the screen as well. Now, right at the top, just at the top of the psalm, we're given a little bit of extra information. Um, now, this isn't something that's been added later. It was there at the start. Um, two bits of information. Firstly, we're told uh, who wrote it. That it's a Psalm of David. That's King David. Uh, He he wrote quite a lot of the Psalms. In fact, he wrote uh, 73 of the 150 Psalms. But we're also told told when he wrote it. It says, when he was in the desert in Judah. Now, why is he in the desert? Well, if you look down at verse 9, he says that he uh, is fleeing from those who want to kill him. Now there's two times recorded uh, in the Bible where David flees to the desert as someone is seeking to take his life. Uh, the first was just after he was anointed as king when he was a young man. Uh, king Saul at the time found out about this and was seeking to kill David and so David fleed, uh, fled to the wilderness to escape from him uh, and you can read about that in uh, sorry, 1 Samuel 22 and David actually wrote a psalm about that experience. You can read that in Psalm 57. Uh, But the second one was many years later, once David was king. And this time, as David flees to the desert, uh, he's fleeing now from his own son, Absalom, who's seeking to take the throne from him and kill him. And it's almost certain that this is what this psalm is referring to, that that experience of him in the desert. Now, just for the record, uh, here is a sort of visual of what the desert in Judea—sorry, in Judah—looked like. It's not a great place to be. Not a great place to go for a holiday. It's a dry and barren place. It only receives about three to six inches of rain a year, and only in a couple of months. It's—it's it's a brutal place to be. It's only the only reason you would ever go to this place is if you're fleeing for your life. Now, with that in mind, let's have a look at verse one of this psalm. Now. Verse one is really the great heart of this psalm. Everything else sort of comes off that. And so we need to get our heads around verse one. But have a look at the language that's here in verse one. It says, Earnestly I seek, I, I thirst, my whole body longs uh, in a dry and parched land where there is no water. This is the guy who is desperate. Uh, I, I don't know if you've ever been desperately thirsty. I'm not talking about the kind of thirst you have. You know, you play a bit of afternoon tennis in summer and then you're a bit, bit thirsty. I'm talking about you know, going for days without water uh, to the point where your body is faint, uh, that your throat is dry, you have no energy, you're on the verge of death. This is the sort of situation that David finds himself in here. But the su- big surprise is that what he's talking about here is not water. But David uses his desperate feeling, this desperate longing that he has in the desert without water to describe not his physical thirst, but his spiritual thirst. And so look again at verse 1. It says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Can you feel the desperation in him, in his words? The ESV says it more literally. It says, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh is faint for you. Both body and soul. With all of his being, he longs for God. But as he does this, he's not speaking as one who is a stranger trying to find that which he knows nothing about, like looking for a mirage in the desert. Now, this is the longing, the, the thirsting of someone who does know the person he's searching for. Now, there is a spiritual thirst that the non-believer has for God, whether or not they know it's actually God that they're searching for. That was the case, for example, for the woman in the well. You know, in John 4, uh, she had spent her life seeking uh, satisfaction, seeking to satisfy this thirst that she had. And she did that through intimate relationships. And Jesus comes to her and offers her this living water and says, if you drink of this, you'll never be thirsty again. And it may be that you're here today because you have this thirst, this longing, and you're not sure where you can get that quenched. But what David's talking about here is a different kind of thirst. It's a thirst for someone who knows God. So have a look at the start of verse one again. It says, you, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. Now, when we use the word my in relational terms, you know, like my children or here's my wife or this is my friend, we're not talking about ownership, are we? We're we're talking about a close relational connection, uh, a deep knowing of a person. And David's thirst here is for his God. He says, you, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you the reason he searches and seeks and thirsts for God is exactly because he knows this God. He wants more of him. And this is the great paradox of the Christian life because God invites all of us who are spiritually thirsty to come to him and he will quench our thirst. That's true for everyone who has found salvation in him. But when we do enter into that relationship with him, we get a new thirst, a thirst to know more of this God that has saved us. And that's what David is speaking of here in verse 1. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you, my whole being longs for you in dry and parched land where there is no water. Okay, like I said, verse 1 is the real heart of this psalm. And what David expresses here is his great desire above everything else to experience more of this God that he knows. Really, that's what Psalm 63 is about. It's about a real spiritual experience with God, what that looks like. The end goal of of so much of spiritual experience these days, both inside and outside of the church, seems to be more about us than about God, about seeking some sort of feeling or some sort of experience for yourself. But that's not what real spiritual experience is. True spiritual experience isn't a momentary feeling that you get. It's not about God giving you something that you want. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, in his book, The Religious Affections, says it this way. says, The mark of authentic spiritual experience is that you become satisfied with God for who He is and not just for the benefits He gives you." you. See that? It's about experiencing God in such a way that you can't live without Him, that He's more important to you in the desert than water. It's about body and soul, all of your senses, your whole being thirsting after your God. And that's what David describes here. But the question is, how do you get that kind of thirst for God? Because it might be that some of you have that. But for a lot of us, we might be a bit dry at the moment. How do you get that thirst? How do you have that authentic spiritual experience of God? Well, that's what the rest of the psalm does. It gives us the how. It's the how he earnestly seeks and thirsts for God. So in verse 2, as he's in the desert, what he does is he remembers back to his experiences in the sanctuary. That is the temple of God in Jerusalem. So have a look at verse 2. He says, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Notice as as he's in the desert, he doesn't think about the comforts of the palace, which was also in Jerusalem. He doesn't think about his own power and his own glory that he had as king. No, as he thinks back to the sanctuary, to the place where the Old Testament people of God would meet with God, what does he see? He says, I have seen you in the sanctuary. Now, what does that mean? Now, I guess it's possible that he'd had some sort of transcendent experience of seeing God like Moses did in the the burning bush or on the the mountain or like Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 as he sees this vision in heaven of God. But more likely, it's that David, as he read... And as he heard about God, as he studied and meditated upon God's law and participated in the sacrifices and the worship services and the great days of thanksgiving, that all of, through all of those things that he saw God in the spiritual sense through the experience of all of those things. Because look at what he says. He says, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. What does he see? He sees God's attributes. He sees who God is. And he recalls two of them here, power and glory. Now, both are used throughout the Bible uh, to describe God. They're two of the great parts of who God is. Uh, Power has to do with his strength and his protection and his creation, that he is sovereign over all things, that he's the great creator, the great protector, the one who has brought about salvation for his people. Uh, that no one or no thing can prevail against him. That's God's power. But there's also his glory, and that has to do with his bigness, his his fullness, the the weightiness of who God is. Here's a a great definition of, of God's glory that I found. It says, the glory of God is the magnificence, worth, loveliness and grandeur of his many perfections which he displays in his creative and redemptive acts in order to make his glory known to those in his presence. It's through creation and through redemption that he has made himself known to us. And as David sits there in the dust and he remembers back to the sanctuary, to the temple of God where he met with the people of God and what did he see? Well, he saw God. He beheld his power and his glory. And so he says, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. As you come to church each week, or for some of you every second week, make, make this year the, week you, uh, the year you come every week to church. But as you come to church each week, as you open the Bible for yourself and read the scriptures for yourself, do you understand facts about God Or do you see and behold God? Because the the goal isn't to know your Bible. The goal is to know the God of the Bible, to see him, to behold him, to see his power and his glory. And it's because David had seen and beheld God, because he had experienced God with his spiritual eyes, that he can say in verse 3, your love is better than life. Now, the word here for love is that beautiful uh, Hebrew word, Hesed. It's God's covenant love for His people, His unbreaking commitment to us. And David says this love, this Hesed love, is better than anything else in the world. Uh, that the God who is so powerful and so glorious yet would love Him. It's even better than life itself, he says. Have you experienced. That love, God's chesed love, his covenant love towards you, the love that's better than life. I remember the first time I did, uh, it, was, it was the day I became a Christian. I had, I'd grown up in a home where my parents came to faith when I was a, a young child. And so I'd grown up with them taking me along to church, reading the Bible to me, and I'd, I'd heard the stories. I, I knew about God, uh, but it wasn't until I was 17 that I heard the gospel of God's love. And for the first time, something that I'd heard many times before, but for the first time, I didn't just hear it, I experienced it for myself, that I could feel God's love. I experienced it in a way that I'd never had before, that he had loved me and given his son for me to bring me into this, have said love, this covenant love. And David says, God's love, which he has experienced, is better than life. And when you compare it to anything else in the world, it's better. That it's a love that is better than anything and everything else. And if you have it, you will be free. Even sitting in the dirt in the desert with your own son trying to kill you. Because it's the one thing you cannot lose. If you have God's love, then you are complete. You have everything you need. If you have God's love, then you don't need to endlessly search for the love of others. You don't have to win the approval of others because you have God's approval. You can rest secure in him and his love. As David is writing this psalm, he's lost everything. And yet he can say, your love is better than life. And so in response to all of this, David says in verse 3, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. In your name, I'll lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Do you see what he does? He responds to this love by glorifying and praising God. says, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Great City he even lifts up his hands. Who would have thought? Whew. One of the best ways to increase your appetite for God is to praise him, to tell him about who he is, to, about his character, about his attributes. You can do that when you're singing. You can do that when you're praying to him. One of the main parts of your prayer life, of my prayer life, should be praise, not petition. What I noticed is so much of my prayer life had become petition, asking God for things. Now, there's there's nothing wrong with asking God for things. He's our heavenly father. He loves to give us good gifts to his children. But so much of our prayer lives should be about praising God. The Lord's Prayer, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done because in doing that in praising him what you will do is remind yourself about who he is and you'll put him back at his rightful place at the center of your life rather than him at the the other way around why not try doing that this week why not use your prayer times to praise God to tell him about Who he is, about his character and his attributes, all that he has done, and see what happens. See how that fuels your thirst for him, how that increases your spiritual thirst. Okay, verse 6. Let's keep moving. He says, On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Now, it's fair to say David probably had a few things on his mind during this time in in the desert probably finding it pretty hard to sleep. Uh, But notice what he does. He uses his time not to become anxious about other things, but instead to remember God, to consider and to think and remind himself of who God is. Next time you can't sleep, which I imagine for a lot of us is quite often, maybe it's because of anxiety or stress or whatever it is, instead of grabbing your phone and just scrolling or turning the TV on or whatever it is, Why not spend the time remembering God, praying to him, telling him about his goodness and his grace to you? Tim Keller in that devotional I recommended at the start says it this way. He says, training our hearts to spend our sleepless nights in praise and fellowship with God will redeem our frustrations, turning it into cherished intimacy with our Savior. Why don't you try that? And then the result of all of this comes in verse 5. Because he says, I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. David says he will be fully satisfied with God. Now the ESV, I think, says it more literally. I think it's more helpful. It says, My soul will be satisfied as with fat. Now, as a lot of you know, mostly just because I tell you all about it, my favourite show is Alone, not the Australian one, the American one. It's way better. It's a survival show where people get uh, put out in the most extreme environments alone and have to try and survive. Uh, In one of the seasons, uh, one of the survivalists uh, kills a moose, which is a pretty incredible feat for someone to do, and he cuts it all up and he stores all the meat, so he's got it for uh, a long time, and he's living like a king. He's eating moose steak every day while everyone else is starving. He's living like a king. But a few weeks goes on, and as the medical team come out to do a check on him, uh, he's quite shocked when they tell him, you've actually lost a lot of weight, and if you keep losing this sort of weight, we're going to have to extract you from the, the show. Now, what he realizes is even though he's been eating heaps of meat, moose meat is really lean and doesn't contain enough fat. And so even though he was eating all the meat that he wanted, it wasn't actually satisfying him. It wasn't giving him what his body needed. It needed fat. And you see what David's trying to say here. He's in the desert, he's hungry, and his body needs fat to survive. But his soul, what it needs to be satisfied is God. In the same way that the body is satisfied with fat. And I think that's our problem. Because so often, I think we fill up on things that can never satisfy us. Now, I just got back from holidays. uh, And for about half of that, we were staying with my wife's family. And there was 10 adults and 13 children in one house. That's not a good idea. Um, That's why I've come back from break so tired. Uh, But every afternoon, just before dinner what would happen is they'd put out a bunch of snacks on the table, biscuits and dips and chocolates and lollies. And because my kids aren't used to it, they would just go to town on all of this food. But then when dinner arrived, they wanted nothing to do with it. They weren't hungry. They had lost their appetite because their appetite had been ruined by these empty calories. And I think that's what we do so often with God. We fill up on empty calories, thinking we'll find satisfaction in them But all that they do is ruin our appetite for God. They might give you a little sugar rush for a while, but in the end, they won't satisfy you. And so what is it that's ruining your appetite for God? Have a think in your own life. What is it that ruins your appetite for God? Maybe it's sin. Sin will ruin your appetite for God, won't it? But it could also be many other things that aren't sinful, good things in our lives that we are turning to instead of God, that we're thinking about, we're putting our time and our energy and efforts into instead of God. Maybe they're good things that we've actually turned into God things. But in the end, they're just like cookies. They'll give you a little rush, but they won't satisfy your appetite. And so you can ruin your appetite for God, but you can also increase it. You can increase your appetite. You know, the more you eat, the more your appetite increases because your stomach stretches and you can eat more. Maybe that's true for a lot of us over Christmas time. But it's the same with God. Uh, As you remember and as you reflect on who God is, your appetite for him will begin to grow. Uh, The more you seek after God, the bigger your appetite you will have for him. And as you do that, like David says in verse 8, you'll cling to him. Or like he says in verse 11, you'll rejoice and you'll find your joy in him. Okay, let's, let's finish up. Uh, I started by asking you how this psalm made you feel. Um, if you have found this psalm inspiring, and I'm sure for some of you that's the case, then why don't you use it to continue to grow that appetite that you have for God, that thirst that you have for God. Each week, uh, we you saw it before, we, we pray through all the prayer requests that, that you guys send into to us. And I loved one of them that came in this week. I won't say who it's from, but I asked their permission, and they're one of our community group leaders. This was their prayer. They said that this year would be a year of, sp- of growth spiritually and in character. Now, that's a great prayer, isn't it? Someone who's thirsty for God, who wants this year to be a God where they grow more like God, become more like him. That's a group that I want to be part of, if that's the leader. But like if me, uh, that as you read this psalm, it made you feel distant. Why don't you decide to use it to reignite your thirst and your hunger for your God? Now there's ups and downs in the Christian life, isn't there? There... Think about the person who wrote this psalm, David. Now last year we went through 2 Samuel, looking at the life of King David. If ever there was someone who had ups and downs in the Christian life, it was King David. And yet the true Christian will always come back to this thirst for their God. In fact, it's often in the midst of trials and suffering uh, that God uses to reignite that thirst for him as he strips away other things in our lives that get in the way and seek to strip that appetite from us. So, Grace City, how is your year going to start? It's the start of a new year. Why don't you use it to fuel your spiritual appetite for God so that you can say, along with Psalm 63, you, God... Are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. So let's pray and ask God that He would do that in our lives. God, you are all powerful. You are glorious. You are the God of Hesed love, the God who has created and redeemed us. Lord, we pray that as we look upon you, that we would see you and would you ignite in us a new spiritual thirst, a spiritual hunger to know more of you. Give us that spiritual experience, we pray this year. Would you strip away from us things that we have ruined our appetite on and would we come back and feast upon you? And we pray this in the name of Jesus, amen.